Statistics Canada put out um, new numbers on homicide this week, and there were some interesting things in there because uh, murders that were at their highest in Canadian history, 788 people were murdered across the country last year. Now, there are many more of us now than there were 40 years ago. So the murder rate isn't what it was back in the mid-70s when it was over three. It's closer to two now. Uh, But still, it's at the highest it's been since the mid-2000s. And a lot of it, a lot of what's driving it is gang-related violence, gang-related murders, which are around, make up around 23%, 184 of those 788 in 2021. And that's the highest rate, at least, since the federal government started tracking that data back in 2005. The highest rates by province were seen in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, the highest rates by city, Regina, Thunder Bay, Winnipeg. Um, but you look into it, and, and clearly there is an issue right now with gang-related violence and gang-related murders. And one of the things that stands out there, too, is a vast majority of those homicides are gun-related, they're, or they're caused by guns. They're shootings. A lot of other murders are not. Um, in, and it's been, you know, so obviously gun violence, gang violence, the murder rate, um, drugs, and so forth, they're all tied into one big package and we need to tackle all of them if we want to figure out how to combat it. But clearly, uh, gang-related violence is on the upswing and murders are on the upswing and we need to find a way to try to turn the tide. And who better to help us explain what the problem is and perhaps how to solve it than Marcel Wilson, who's president and co-founder of the anti-violence organization One by One Movement. He's also a former gang member himself and he speaks to us tonight from Toronto. Thanks so much for your time, Marcel. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I've seen you testify about these things in the past, parliamentary committees. I mean, you've been telling this story for quite a while now. Did these statistics surprise you at all, that these, uh, the, the, the gang murder rate at least seems to be on the up? Unfortunately, they don't surprise me at all. Um, it's something we've been talking about for some time, as you, as you said, and we've been warning uh, the government, public media, that this is going to get worse before it gets any better because we're not taking the appropriate steps to combat it. You know this world. You came from this world. Um, what is the problem? What, where, where, why would we see, why have we seen an upswing? Is it the availability of, of, of weapons? There's, it's easier to, to get them now? Or is it, uh, are we seeing just a shift in, in, in the uh, sort of the attitudes towards, you know, I guess the attitude towards life in some senses? Yeah, you, you sort of touched on it. There's, there's layers to this, but if I were to point out the two top, two main issues, it would be um, the culture of violence has changed. Um, social media has played a huge role in that, and the fact that it doesn't shock anyone as, as it used to. You know, there's, there's not enough public outrage. You know, a, a kid gets shot, 12 years old, and it's in the headlines for a day or two. So that's one issue. Uh, the second biggest is access. Access to illegal firearms has gone through the roof. So tackling those two issues would, you know, create a huge dent in, in, in combating violence now. Yeah, I saw you tell a really interesting story uh, in front of a committee about how quickly a young person was able to find an illegal weapon. I think it was two hours. Correct. Um, we carried out an experiment for a another media outlet and fortunately one of the things that makes us effective at our jobs is that we have the trust of 
of, of the communities. We have the trust of people who are kind of living on, on, on the fringe. And, you know, they wanted to see how quickly we could uh, uh, get them an illegal firearm. And we, we explained to the parties involved what they were participating in, and they were more, more than happy to do it, which is crazy in itself. So we're dealing with a multi-layered problem here. The so- social media is driving a certain uh, brazenness. The population's getting immune to it, at least to the violence. And uh, there are more weapons out there to carry it out. It seems like a, it seems like the trifecta, right? And you've been warning about this. You have been warning about this. You, you need to tackle the finger pulling the trigger, not the trigger itself. Absolutely, absolutely. We have to deal with you know, and it, it sounds very repetitive. I've been saying it for a long time, but dealing with the root cause risk factors. And that's not just things like mental health and poverty and systematic things, but dealing with individuals um, and what those issues are. There's so many layers to why kids, youth are acting out and us not catching, uh, you know, these, these behaviors soon enough or, or not paying attention, you know, and there's layers to that too. Parents have to work, you know, prices of everything are through the roof. You know, rents, rent is skyrocketing. People have to work harder and pay a lot less attention to their children and depend more on a system that may not necessarily be uh, able to identify these issues. Marcel, from your time, um, are you hearing different stories? Are you hearing a change from the from the kids you talk to about what it's like to be out there and part of part of a criminal gang these days compared to what it was like even five years ago? 100%. Um, some of the work that I've done in the past has been rooted in uh, counterterrorism work. And one of, the, one of the major things you have to do in order to combat any issue is be able to identify it. Gangs, criminal organizations, their ideology is and always should be rooted in capital gains. When you talk about extremism and terrorism, it's usually a religious ideology, political, something along those lines. So the type of violence we're seeing now, there's no rhyme or reason behind it when you fit it into the category of gangsterism. Um, when you don't see that the drive behind it has to do with dollars and cents, we have to start reclassifying so that we can identify it properly and then create the tools to try and combat it. So what we're seeing now looks a lot more like terrorism than gangsterism. We call it disorganized crime. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. How so? Is it because it's it's almost, um, how does that work? Because it doesn't make financial sense, right, to be to be killing each other. Well, for example, in my day, I was with an organized organization, and I mean, violence was a last resort. Um, you did that if, you know, someone was messing with your money, your turf, uh, you were losing in some way. Where in what we're seeing now is violence can happen based on a video, a comment that happens online. So if guys in our group went out and committed acts of violence on their own, unsanctioned, that brought negative attention to the group, uh, unwanted eyes from law enforcement to the group. So it had to make sense. If it didn't make sense, then you just weren't allowed to do it. And if you did, there were consequences and repercussions for it. So we're not seeing any of that now. There's, there's no governing 
body that is is kind of overwatching what's happening here. It's just a free-for-all. Disorganized crime, as you put Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And that means that anything can turn violent, right? Any slight, any... So this isn't about turf, it isn't about theft, it isn't about territory or supply, it's about anything. Slight. Absolutely. For, for, for instance, yeah, there just uh, about two weeks ago, we had a young lady that uh, is a client of ours. Uh, she's 12 years old. Um, you know, we're, we're an anti-bullying group too. We design anti-bullying programs because this is one of the root cause risk factors. She was getting bullied at school. And that led to problems outside of the school where a young a teenager, uh, 15 years old, and his friends that were, you know, 17, 18, threatened this young lady that if she went to school on the Monday, they would kill her. The, the, the insane part about this is that they actually showed up and there was physical violence at an elementary school for a 12-year-old girl. There's no criminal organization out there. And I'm not saying they have morals or ethics, but I, I'm just saying that there's no organization out there that would sanction that or allow it. You know, where we're seeing a lot more of this now, it's just, it's, it's insane. How do you, if, it, if it's... If it's as you describe, obviously, how do you fight that? How, how do you, because clearly gun rules won't change things. If you can get guns so easily, it doesn't change anything. Um, punishment doesn't change much if it's that uh, irrational to begin with, to some extent. You sort of threatening, tough on crime doesn't really work, does it, in, in that situation? So what can you do? Um, well, after working in this space for some time and myself going through a positive change uh, that we've that we've dubbed or called the internal realization and transformation process. But in order to get there, um, there are a few things we can do sort of immediately. One, an acute focus on removing as many of the illegal guns off of our streets now. So that is support at the borders and supporting our uh, police forces in getting these guns off the streets. Once we do that, Right. Punishment is, is not the solution without rehabilitation. Um, we have to start offering programs to these guys that are going to be released back into your communities one day. Um, there, there, there's definitely not enough of that happening. We have to stop politicizing this, this issue. This is a Canadian issue. This should not be a partisan issue. Um, we need all levels of government to actually come together and, and work together on this, including, you know, the, bureau, the bureaucrats, the, the private sector, the grassroots organizations, sharing data and actually working together. Because everyone, from what we've seen, operates in silos. And then we have to start getting to the at-risk or high-risk demographic very young. We have to start, you know, we work with children as young as six or seven years old because we start to see behaviors that you wouldn't see 20 years ago and that's because six or seven year olds didn't have access to information that that we didn't have 20 years ago so we have to start at those places and you'll see a huge difference a huge decline are you confident do you see, do you feel like you're seeing what you need to see for us to start moving in the right direction in the not too distant future because you're right we're reading about incidents at schools and things like that that we haven't seen in the past at least not frequently or not regularly 
unfortunately, um, I, I don't see enough happening in, in a time frame that it should, um, for whatever reasons. And I mean, you know, kids are getting uh, introduced to violence much younger. They're getting introduced to illicit drug use much, much younger. And it's like we know what we need to do. To, to counter this, but there's a lot of um, analysis paralysis kind of happening. You know, right. everyone wants to talk, but nobody wants to actually roll out with action items or tangibles. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've, been, yeah, we've been there before, I know. I mean, it would make sense, it seems to me, given your, your experience, your personal experience, that if we were to, to fund more of what you would be looking for, we'd probably ought be off to a good start here. Oh, absolutely. Um, there are some fantastic organizations across the country that put in blood, sweat, and tears and just don't get the support. And my, part of my fight when I started this, I came in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, I'm going to help try and change the world, um, was that, you know, oh, they just don't know what's going on. We have to educate them. But we've now sat at enough of these tables, been in enough of these rooms to know that they know what needs to be done. So now my, my, my new fight, I guess, would be why? Why are we not doing the things that we know need to be done in order to combat the issue? Why are we focusing on things that are going to make little to no difference, i.e. banning legal firearms and, and, and things of, of this nature? where we could be dumping the majority of those resources into the things I just mentioned, uh, the border, uh, supporting our police and supporting grassroots organizations like ours that, that work with the demographic. Yeah, I heard you mention once that no one that you had ever known had ever gone and used, had ever used a, a legally purchased firearm in the commission of anything. Correct. I've, I've never seen it happen. Um, I'm sure it has throughout the history of, you know, Canadian criminality, but I personally have never seen it. And I've never actually seen anyone actively go out and seek a legally sourced firearm in order to kill someone. It's just, it just doesn't make sense. Well, I, I, I hope that these new statistics at least wake people up to the fact that it's moving in the wrong direction and whatever we're doing is not working. And therefore, we should be looking for solutions such as the ones you're proposing. Uh, Marcel Wilson, thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate your insight on this. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.